and welcome to the Turtle Tracks Podcast. This is your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here with Judith Hogue, who, of course, was the original April O'Neil in the 1990 Ninja Turtles film. Judith, thank you so much for doing this. I have been excited to talk to you for a long time, so thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Absolutely, Brian. Uh, so you've been doing a lot of turtle stuff lately, which is pretty exciting for the fans. Let me just put that out there. Like, we're, It's really cool to have you be like to reach out to us so much. It's fantastic. Do you know, it, it all kind of happened during COVID. It, it's been a little bit of a progression for me. Um, part of it started uh, about five or six years ago when I started doing Comic-Cons, um, which I had been invited to for years. Oh, you cut out there. Um, and uh we were talking about it. i was like yeah i've seen galaxy quest i don't want i don't want to do comic cons and he was like you're <laughs> such an idiot yeah. you are such an idiot you need to go out there you need to meet your fans i did that and i have to say that like ninja turtle fans are incredibly cool um there's even a group called the cool kids club that is a whole oh, yeah. bunch of ninja turtle fans i don't know if you know cool kids but love those guys um, and, uh, and it's a really dedicated, devoted following. And then it was during COVID that I, um, did a, a table read. I got the cast and crew to of the original script. And it was during COVID that I saw how much the things that give us nostalgia that remind us of our childhood were so essential to getting through that experience. Like those were the things that people were leaning on to feel better about what was happening in the world that didn't feel good at all. That was kind of terrifying that had a lot of fear in it. And, um, and that Ninja Turtles was an up was a way for me to reach back to the fans who, you know, I did four movies with Debbie Reynolds. And one of the things that she told me was if you don't have fans, you don't have a career. Mm -hmm. And she really taught me about how important it is to embrace the people who embrace you. And I think that there's, um, having lived in Los Angeles for so many years, there is a disconnection between the artist and the work just because the Hollywood is weird. Sure. You don't even you don't you're not, you don't really get an opportunity to connect with your fans. So it's made me want to reach back and and it's been nothing but joyful. You know, you've cut out a couple of times. I'm not quite sure why. I'm sorry. Um, I, I wanted to ask you uh, who or how how were you convinced? Because you, you you cut out for like a minute there. No, it was Michael Cudlitz, and he was on a show called The Walking Dead. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh oh. Not hearing you. Sorry. Can you can hear me? Am now I, I can still? Hear you. Now I got can. Michael Cudlitz though, who's a great, who's great. I love him on that show. He's one of the best parts of that show. Yeah, and he's he's a really. We've been friends for over thirty years, and um, he was the one who said, "Judith, you got to do Comic Cons. You've got to meet your fans. You you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about." And he was right. And meeting the fans was um, a very cool experience. Because Ninja Turtle fans, I, I really think are some of the greatest fans on. I think this is going to work. 
Where did I leave you? Uh, we're, we're Turtle fans are the best, and Michael Kudlitz. We have Michael Kudlitz to thank, who is great. So, uh, that, he is that, great. That was that part. I, he brought some much needed levity to that show, and I loved him on that. He was great. Yeah, and he's just generally a great guy. Sure. Yeah. And uh, and so he's he's responsible for pointing me in the direction of Comic Cons. Speaking of fan events, you recently did the farmhouse, right? I did last. Was that the weekend. first time you did that? Yeah, I've never done it before. How was that? Um, it's wild because the family that owned the farmhouse has been in that family for many decades now, and they've recently done a full renovation on it, and it's now an event space where I think they do weddings and gatherings oh, cool. and. The barn has been transformed. It was transformed into a screening room. It's where we did our Q&A. I never did the tour of the house, but the house has been completely redone. Um, it was a little surreal to be back there. But what was amazing was that the fans, I mean, like people came, they got on planes and flew there to have that experience, which is always incredibly shocking. And and uh, to me, just that like, wow, people are really devoted but it was cool. Uh, I wanted to go. I've, not, I've never those... been, but I've I've heard great things about like camping out there and all that. I wonder if eventually they just like if so many turtle fans had bombarded those over the past thirty years, they just relented and said, "Okay, we'll give you one I day so. you can come." Well, <laughs> yeah, and they're trying to build a business, so it's like sure. having an association with that really makes sense because people want to be there. Like you know, people want to get married. We got married in the barn. Where they shot Ninja Turtles. Yeah, that's cool. And it's a nice venue. You know? I've seen the pictures. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And it was fun. And it was great to get. I hadn't seen Jeff Goodwin, who was the makeup artist um, for Ninja Turtles. And he's an incredible. He's worked on so many things. Um, he did Blue Velvet. He's worked on Rambo. He's. I mean, he's done a lot. Anything that was shot in North Carolina, he was the guy. And he does special effects makeup as well as just, you know, straight makeup. And he told a story that the scar, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember which turtle, if it was Leo or if it was Raph. Couple things he said was they, um, Steve Barron wanted to do an homage to Rambo. And so one of the turtles have the exact scar that Rambo has, um, which I thought was pretty funny. It's like a little Easter egg in there. Raph has um, a star and, like here-ish, I think. If I yeah, and I and, and if it's it's probably Raph's, and it's exactly Rambo's scar because huh. he did the scar on Rambo. He or on you know Schwarzenegger, and oh no, the who was Rambo? Stallone. That was uh, Stallone, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and then he did. He Steve had really wanted. He told this story, and I had never heard this before. But how Steve Barron had wanted bruises. Um, he wanted it to be really realistic and he wanted bruises on the turtles um, after fight scenes. And uh, Henson, Jim Henson was like, we can't do that. This is latex. If we're cleaning off makeup all the time, these are going to disintegrate and we just don't have the resources to, you know, have too many turtle heads. So Jeff came up with the idea of doing watercolor. And they would just go on really easy and then wipe right off and it never hurt the latex. So it was a really cool 
thing. He, he's he got a million stories and he had so many pictures. I think he might be coming out at some point with a book um, that's all behind the scenes and all the continuity cool. photographs and Polaroids and stuff. It was pretty, it was great. And he's just a great guy. I'll have to reach out to him. That's so cool. I've had Steve Barron on. He was one of my first guests and he was great. Like, super yeah, no, I, you would great. love, you would love Jeff Goodwin. He's a great guy. Speaking of uh, Jim Henson, did you get a chance to meet him when you worked in the film? Yeah, I did. What was that like? Um, that was very cool. He was, um, I think he was there for a couple of days. It was my first, it was the day that I was shooting um, the scene where I wake up on the couch in the sewer and there's splinter and I'm scrambling on top of the couch and the, you know, the, they have something on a film set called sight lines and they really try to keep the crew out of the sight lines because it's where the actors can see. So if you're looking out in space a little bit, it's nice to just have a clear sight line. Nobody's standing there. Well, Jim Henson had wandered into my sight line and I started screaming in my head. It was like, oh my God, there's Jim Henson. And then another voice was like, stop it. It doesn't matter. You're in the middle of shooting a scene, like focus, 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 but it's Jim Henson. Yeah. It was like, there were three people having this very excited exchange in my head while we were shooting. And so I waited until we had wrapped that scene to go over and, and, you know, just tell him what a huge fan I was of his work. And, he was an incredibly nice man. He died very soon after the shooting of the film. Um, but I became close with his son, Brian Henson, who took over, you know, Henson uh, Productions and and uh, also became the voice of Kermit and did a, you know, really carried on. He, him and his sister really carried on the legacy. Brian was at your uh, your reading, too, that you did. That was such yeah, a great. Was. I that. It was so great. Yeah, he's great. He was fabulous. You know, rewinding a bit, how did you get the part and did you have any awareness of Turtles before then? No awareness of Turtles. My agent, when he handed me the script, said, ignore the title. It's a very <laughs> sweet movie. And to the day he died, he called him Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I had an uncle who called him that. There was yeah. Like, There's another letter there. I don't know why. Yeah, they're not ninja, they're ninja, uh, <laughs> but that was part of Michael's charm, and uh, I didn't know about them. I went in, I met with Steve Barron, and we had a great meeting, and I am I feel like I was, well, I was at 57th and 7th Avenue, which is where the casting director, Lynn Kressel's office was, okay. and I was walking home because I didn't live too far from there. And uh, and I love walking in New York. It's just great. And uh, I'm, I feel like, well, no, I wouldn't have found out on the way because there were no cell phones then. So it must have been by the time I got home, there was a message from my agent to call him. And he called and told me the good news. And I, I, I like got it right away. Oh, wow. And, awesome. uh, and I was really excited. But then I was doing this other movie called Cadillac Man, and the dates were overlapping. So I had the movie, and then it went away for about a week. And I think they recast it. I'm not oh, sure. Yeah. Um, but 
it it came around. They everybody relented. The two productions worked together, and they created a path for me to be able to do the movie. But I had never heard of it before, and it was Robin Williams who, you know, kind of gave me my street cred about it because I was doing a movie with him, and he he was a comic book collector, and he had the first issue. He had all the issues, but he had the first one. And when he found out what I was doing, he just thought that was so cool. Oh, that's awesome. And I thought it was cool that he knew it. Because anytime people were like, what is the movie that you're doing? I was like, oh, God, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And (laughs) they'd be like, what? And I'd say, it's called Teenage Mutant. I didn't know there was a cartoon. I knew there was a comic book. Sure. And I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't the demographic for the cartoon. I absolutely would have been for the cartoon i mean for the comic or the you know what i mean the cartoon series but the comic book definitely and you know that todd w langdon who was the screenwriter um i he started doing comic cons and it's been so much fun to hear his stories he's got great stories and um he was saying that the directive was don't watch the cartoon this is based on the comic books, which is why it was so dark, which I think was absolutely brilliant. And it was interesting that it it was a formula that worked so well. It was such a blockbuster movie. It was in the top 10 highest grossing movies for 1990. It was ahead of, you know, Hunt for Red October. You know, making that list as a little independent movie about Ninja Turtles was unheard of. It put New Line Cinema on the map. And then they changed the formula going forward. Yeah. It was like, you know, they changed everything and they, you know, they uh, weren't interested in working with myself. They weren't interested in working with Steve Barron. They, you know, Henson hit hit the road. So it was, it was a very different uh, uh, look and feel of the second two movies. Why weren't you, like, were you not asked back for the second one at all? I was, and they, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. Either I was fired or they didn't pick up my contract. Okay. But they, you know, um, I had some issues with what was going on with the ways that people were being treated because, you know, that people were getting injured. You know, when you're working on a, a low budget and it was absolutely low budget at the time, it was a $6 million movie, um, which is not ultra low budget, but it's not a lot of money, especially when you're dealing with the kind of technology that we were dealing with, which was cutting edge. It was, you know, um, Henson's Creature Shop. That was brand new. Um, We were using Rotoscope, which is what sort of put Steve Rotoscope um, as a camera technique, where one thing blends from like the photographs in the, um, at the farmhouse where it would go from a drawing into the actual uh, picture was new camera work. It was new technology and, um, but it was still low budget. And um, they cut a lot of corners and people were getting hurt and um, people were working really, really hard. And um, it's just sort of the, you know, I think it was, Golden Harvest, who was the production company, was coming from China. They had very different production values there. They had very different um, 
rules and standards of safety um, on set. And that culture came with the show. And so, you know, you're, we worked six days a week, an entire first unit and second unit going simultaneously. There were people that were working regularly 17, 18 hours a day. And it was brutal. And so I kind of spoke up about that. I made some um, remarks about the story and how important it was. I sort of mixed it up with one of the producers about, he said, kids only want to see fighting and the, the story is fluff. And I made the stand that it's not fluff. It's, it's, it's the coat. It's what, it's the heart of the movie. You can't, you know, the story of the turtles and splinter is so essential and it's not fluff. It's the kids will love it. And, and I, you know, a woman in Hollywood who speaks up will be punished, especially back in 1989. And so they did not want to continue working with me. Yeah, it seems like the only thing they valued, considering like, I got a similar thing from Steve. It was just like, you know, the, the, if we get the rubber suits, that's all that matters, right? Like that's right. And like we, we have the turtle. Broke, that's all that matters. They broke box office records. Yeah. Financially, they made so much money. And then I had just heard that over the weekend that, you know, when they started inviting people back, they wanted to pay them half of their previous salary because they said they didn't have any money it's like it literally i'm spent sorry years am i allowed to swear on your podcast thing. yeah it's like you know screw you that's ridiculous so um i'm personally hold no grudges otherwise i wouldn't be yeah. out here the way that i am um but it's you know it's unfortunate it's really yeah. unfortunate and steve bear never got his director's cut he never got to finish the movie the way he wanted to, but it still stands on its own. And it's still a good movie, even though he wasn't able to do that. You know, they, yeah, they were saying like they, 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 he reached a point where he was like, he had X number of scenes left to film and they're like, nah, it's done. Yeah. They were really not about, I mean, they're so lucky that, I mean, this was magic in a bottle. It yeah. rarely happens you know, that you have a low budget film. There are many examples, but this is one that was quite unique and it did really, really well. And they had zero faith in it. They had zero faith in the people that they had brought in to bring this to the screen. And, um, and, you know, and they were very lucky and they were completely um, ungrateful about it. They didn't want to share their, you know, the, the wealth that, was generated they didn't want to you know they had to pay me a lot more for the second movie i'm sure that played into it sure. um of my not being there because then you could start again and not pay the next person and since they actually came to me in the third movie before it started and said oh. would i would i consider um you know coming back and i said well let's have lunch let's talk about it and um they said, yeah, the fans were really upset and, you know, it was confusing for them because they underestimated their fans. Like, oh, yeah, they're just dumb kids. All they want is the green suits. Dumb That's kids. Weird. And kids yeah. are brilliant and smart. And these things, the reason that, you know, 
33 years later, we're sitting here having this conversation is because the things that resonate in your childhood are the things you carry with you for the rest of your life. It's that powerful. And, and it could be this, it could be Star Wars, you know, it could be whatever it is that brought you joy when you were a kid, you still want to have a piece of that in your adult life. So, you know, I mean, they, they are who they are. It's part of, it's part, it's, you know, it's Hollywood, even though they weren't really Hollywood, they were, they were, you know, uh, Golden Harvest was a Chinese company. Um, I'm sorry. No, and so it is what it is. It is what it is. We still what got a great cool movie out of movie it. Is like, now, I, I have like love for all the turtles, everything, even the crappier movies. Yeah. I, I, love I think them. that's great. As you can see that. But like, what I'll say is like, you know, you when you revisit certain things as an adult, like I have kind of a rule on this thing, which I'll talk to anybody and I don't hate on anything. But like, right. I can kind of watch and go like, okay, I objectively i know that this might not be a good film or a good whatever but like right. in this movie it's kind of cool because like i can go you, it's legitimately a good movie like there's a lot of thought and care that was put into it maybe because it was left alone because it was so underestimated that mm-hmm. todd langan and, and 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 steve Barron were allowed to put in stuff that were like like yeah you just make your little turtle movie it's not going to make any money so like you just right. do what you're doing, and then later on, the the suits take over and it ruins it. But like when you look back on that movie, it genuinely stands up as a really solid movie, which I think is right. Not and that's that's that is Steve Barron's vision and John Fenner, who was the DP. I mean, they really and Brian Henson, who did Second Unit. I mean, they were very very strong and they fought for it. And you know, there were a lot of fights in the you know, the process because they were standing around and they were trying to get it done and they had to keep fighting to keep pieces of the movie in there. And the pieces that they fought for and kept are the ones that have made it, have helped it have the longevity that it has. Do you, you have a story about Tiana Reeves hanging out on set? Can I ask about that? Oh, he wasn't hanging around on set, but he was there one day Okay, with, with uh, he and Elias Kateas were friends. They're both they're fellow Canadians. And he came. I just remember seeing them out on the basketball court. And I I feel like they came over. I feel like I had the yellow jumpsuit on, which was a complete afterthought. It didn't fit. Oh yes, I, I you recently did this naked thing. And you told that story, and it sounds yeah. Like <laughs> and um, and that was what. And I think Keanu had done um, Bill and Ted's Big Adventure. I'm pretty sure he had. I, I'm pretty sure I knew who he was, but didn't know him well. But I had liked him in that, and super, you know, Keanu. Who doesn't like Keanu? Um, a very sweet guy, and. Uh, yeah, so but he he I think he was just there one day visiting Elias, who is another great human being. I love Elias so much. We've stayed in touch. We talk not a lot, but at least once or twice a year, and it's never less than an hour long conversation. That's awesome. He, he the two of you were so great in that movie. You really like We had such fun. Yeah. We had such fun. 
Um, I would love to hear if you have any memories uh, from, so there's that, I know almost none of the movie was filmed in New York, but there's that one scene in the subway. Do you have any memories from that scene? Because that's one of the, one of the great ones. Yeah. So there's two subway scenes. The one where I'm being surrounded by the foot soldiers and I'm swimming in my bag. Uh, It was funny because that was a, a, a scene that really had mirrored my life. I had been surrounded by a bunch of guys in New York and I had a heavy leather bag and I literally started swinging it at them and yelling at them because they were trying to grab my ass and they were catcalling me. And I, I had two older brothers. And so I learned to fight young. Like (laughs) we are very close. We got along great, but we used to just fighting was how, how we were with each other there was always somebody giving you know a charlie horse to somebody else or you know messing with each other and so when these guys surrounded me i was just incensed and i said you know i could be your sister i could be your girlfriend do you have are there women in your life would you like them to be treated like this is this how you would treat your sister is this how you treat your mother and i'm swinging away and it was hilarious because the guys like stopped doing it and then they kind of turned on the one guy who was the kingpin in it all and they started you know saying yeah is this how you treat your sister get him you know yeah hit him and then they left and so that scene as i'm swinging it around it was like a moment of relent yeah i mean was it like triggering like that's crazy i would say it was triggering it was sort of like oh i remember this Sure. Oh yeah. You guys are going down. Um the <laughs> second scene, the second scene where Raphael is carrying April down the the subway track. Sure. I had been waiting in my trailer all day to shoot that scene and for whatever reason they decided to do it with the stunt person versus me. And I was so disappointed and then when I saw the movie, I saw that passed out April stunt girl had her arm around Raph's neck. And I was so mad because when you are passed out, your body, you're a little rag doll. Sure. And you have to sell the next scene that's coming, which is I'm waking up after being knocked out in this totally bizarre sewer Ninja Turtle rat new reality. And I remember just being like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's little tiny things. I mean, I, I cared about that role so much and, 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 you know, tried my very best. And so it's the little things. So when I see that, it's like, oh man, you missed with my performance, but it is what it is. That next scene where you wake up, it's so funny. Nobody cares but me. <laughs> that scene where you wake up, uh, it's funny. Like I've watched this movie so many times, but every once in a while, like, I'll notice something different. And I think that it was that was true of your performance the last time I watched it. Me and a buddy of mine were drinking and smoking a little bit and watching that movie. And as and, you should, yeah. And we were we watched it, and yours that scene of you waking up and screaming and being in. Uh, it, it's not just the screaming and the big reaction. Being, every sentence Splinter says. You just have a look of like disgust in your face, like what the fuck am I looking at? And it's so funny that like <laughs> throughout the entire scene of disbelief, horror, and like 
what like what is wrong with my life that I'm talking to this thing right now? And <laughs> so meanwhile, funny. Jim Henson is in my sight line and <laughs> I'm having three conversations in my head. Um, no, that would have been only really one take. Yeah, that was, you know, working with Kevin Clash. He was absolutely amazing as Splinter. And you would have, and he loved to play with people on set. So I would have conversations with Splinter. Like he was so real. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he was so real. And it was so much fun. But you know, that scream was a Steve Barron thing. That was like, he wanted me to do this very specific scream in the audition and I did and I I guess I nailed it because you it's know so I got funny. the part but he he wanted it and then he wanted it again in the junk shop and uh and yeah so and the Harrison Lord it's it's so great how well the Harrison Ford line has held up like this yeah well you know I was talking about it this weekend like one of the hardest things for me you know, people were saying, you know, do you love watching this movie? And my answer is no. <laughs> and um, I've only seen it a few times. And it's not that I don't love the movie. I think it's a great movie. My performance is a little bit tough for me to watch because I had to. Do you know what ADR or looping is? Yeah. It's yeah, voice recorded dialogue. Basically, you're lip syncing. And I had to lip sync the entire movie. They oh, flew wow. me from New York to LA. And I would say like a good 90%, 85 to 90% of the movie. And I had to do it in eight hours. And I had never looped in my life. It was the first time I'd ever been in a, you know, doing that. And so what you had to do is you had to make, make you know, re-record the dialogue and just getting, you know, the knack of following the beeps that are playing in the booth, matching your um, lips so it's you can get those words coming out in the same speed and time. And then, you know, trying to get your performance back in. It was just a lot. And I was learning and I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't really even know what I was walking into. And, um, and it really changed the performance because the, the performance that was recorded originally, and I understand why they couldn't use it because there was a lot of sound issues. Um, there was no noisy servos in the turtle heads, the crickets got into the set and there were cricket sounds everywhere. And, and so, uh, I, it would have been nice if they'd maybe given me two days to do it or, yeah said have you ever looped before like this is how you do it and so that part so I'm whenever I hear that it it makes me happy because um I I you know it's it's a little sometimes I I I can see where it's like oh that's not the that where we were heading in the performance or where mm -hmm. I was heading but that's you know yet again it's I was talking to somebody who wanted to get into the business and they're like, yeah, I said, how strong are you? Like, how much can you, how much pounding can you take? Mm. Do you feel like if you didn't become an actor, you would die? Because that's the kind of, of um, like 
desire you have to to withstand the pounding of the business. You know, being fired from this film after having it be such a huge success was devastating. I'm sure. Yeah. And and coming back from that and, you know, creating, continuing to build a career, continuing to do stuff, continuing to have a love for what I was doing, you know, it takes some doing. And then, you know, 30 years later doing this, it's, you know, it's a sign of, uh, I, for me, I think it's a sign of my mental health that I've used it as an opportunity to just get stronger and to just be clear about what matters and what doesn't matter. And, you know, that you don't need anybody else's permission to make art. You know, years and years later, you did uh, what would have been a cameo in one of the newer films and it never went. Yeah, the second one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was the cameo? Why didn't it, do you know why I didn't make the cut? I'm curious. I have no idea. You know, they had wanted me during the first film okay. to do it. And I, my schedule couldn't work with their schedule. And, uh, the second one, they wrote it in and flew me out to New York. Uh, we shot in Times Square. It was so much fun. It was so chaotic and nuts. Cause you're right in Times Square and there's trucks going by and sirens and people and that we had this whole section cordoned off. And it was so funny because we had, a, I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement and like say, I wouldn't photograph anything. I wouldn't, you know, talk about what we were shooting and we got to set and literally we're surrounded by paparazzi. So everybody could take a picture except us and or, or me you know i may but i have to say it was so much fun i played the head of the network i was oh, passing okay, the con cool. to sure. her i there was a line like you know you remind me of myself when uh-huh. i was younger sure. um and I, you know i don't know why it was cut out I, I i don't think it had anything to do with our performances or i i'm sure it had something to do with time or where they were heading you know I don't know. I don't go, I don't try to figure it out. I sure, just accept yeah. what is. The last thing I want to ask you about was ha- you having worked with NECA. Uh, Trevor's a friend of mine. So I, I know a little I bit. I love of, Trevor. I, I would, uh, I just like, wh- what did you feel like when they first reached out to you? Was there anything weird about seeing yourself imagined in this? Like, I'm, I, what, what's that been no, like? No, it was so, it was thrilling from the get go. Because when, when, the film came out, I was given like a box of toys, okay. which regrettably, I gave away most of it to different kids or, um, you know, charity things or stuff. I was, I pretty much gave a, a lot of it away and there was an April, but it didn't look like me. And that, that was intentional because they didn't want to pay royalties, um, you know, for facial likeness. Yeah. And it was always a little disappointing because I thought, you know, how cool would that be? Yeah. And then again, Michael Cudlitz, he they did an Abraham um, action figure. And when I saw it, I was like, this is so cool. And when I would go over to their house, I would play with the action figure and like put him in funny positions and in weird places. And, you know, and I just thought it was such a cool thing. So when they approached me and I talked to Randy Falk, um, I was honored. I was really honored. And then um, I, you know, helped them or I, I made the case with Elias about why he should let them sculpt his face so that he could be seen because I, you know, he, 
he doesn't do comic cons. He's not really connected to the turtle universe um, the, the same way. I mean, he's proud of the movie. He's proud of his experience. He's proud of the films. Um, but he's not a guy who's going to like be out there in public because he's more, has more of an introvert personality, which is part of his absolute charm. He is just a great person. And, and he said, you know, I don't feel like my, my ego needs this, you know? And I said, it's not about you. It's about them. (laughs) It's about them. Yeah, I said it's about their experience of you, and I said, and might I remind you that you had all the hair on your head, and he had just started working out for that film, and he's really kept his body. You know, he has a super hot body. He had it then. He has it now. And I was like, this is when you started, and I said, don't you want to be able to look back when you're 85 and go, I had it going on. I look good. <laughs> And, and I said, but really, truly, it's not about us, Elias. It's about the fans. It's mm. about their experience that time in their life. And so you don't have to feel like this is about, you know, your ego or anything like that. It's actually not about that at all. And when he heard it sort of framed that way, he, he was all in. Oh, that's great. And, yeah, um, I'm so happy it happened because originally the first one didn't have his face no. and all the fans were like no we need it so but you know what somebody had told me this past weekend that if you pried off that mask that's there true. was a yes. little yeah. there was a little sort of sculpt of him but not and that people were doing you know they were. yes yeah which i had never <laughs> seen but i thought of course they would yeah we were desperate so but he has such a pretty face that you you know and NECA does the most beautiful figures Oh, the most yeah. I've been a collector of theirs for a long time, and they're like, yeah, since they since they started doing turtle toys back in two thousand eight, like they they just do great stuff. Yeah. What did you they're feel awesome. like when they when they pitched you? Hey, let's you be Bride of Frankenstein. Was that did that take some convincing? Not at all. First <laughs> of all, first of all, I didn't understand why, like sure. where yeah. that connection came from, and Randy you know sent me pictures and told me that this was a collab that they had done yeah. um with universal monsters and that they were bringing it back and he asked me would i want to be the face of the bride of frankenstein well what would you say yes yes absolutely um and i i only wish we had recreated the scream face oh when, sure yeah that would have been absolutely. that would have been great that yeah. would have been great but no, I was really, I was honored. I find all of it, you know, a really cool thing to be part of. Um, and to be part of the world of, you know, geeks. I love it. These are my people. These my are my last, people. My last question for you is, because I asked this of everybody, um, who's your favorite turtle? I have two answers. Okay. Judith. Um, had a relationship with every single one of those turtles, which for me was really also, you know, the person in the suit. So it was Josh Pice, Michelin Sisti, Leif Tilden, and Dave Foreman. And I love them all. They they really were the personalities of those turtles. They mm. were just amazing. But I would have to say April would say Raph because he saved, you know, my life. And the person who saves your life has the most special place in your heart. For forever. Sure. So that would be my question, my answer Perfect. to your question. 
Is there any fan events or anything that you wanted to plug coming up? Because I know there's quite a few that you're involved in. So Yeah. So there's something called Turtle Celebration. And uh, the first one, the beta, it's basically a pop-up um, show or convention in a convention. So it's like a convention in a convention. And it's the brainchild of Brian Tochi and Ken Scott. And we're doing the first one at Phoenix Fan Fusion at the beginning of June. I believe it's June 2nd to 4th. Oh, cool. And um, that's in Phoenix. We're doing it again, I want to say, in October. I should have had those dates in front of me. Um, but I will. I have a full schedule this year. I've got that. I've got... Uh, Contropolis. I'll be in Secaucus, New Jersey in July. You know, I'm hoping that um, uh, to maybe be in San Diego this year. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and we'll see. Uh, and there's all kinds of stuff coming up. So people, if they want to find out what's going on, you know, follow me at Judith Hogue Official on Instagram or Judith Hogue on Facebook. And I could be a better poster and a better, you know, posting what's coming up. But I do try to, you know, a couple of weeks out, let people know what's happening. But somewhere I should just put up a schedule. I should be professional about this. <laughs> but well, it kinda... was fun then. So yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I again appreciate talking to you. This was a lot of fun, and uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Brian. And hopefully our paths cross soon. Same, yeah. I'm I, I'm in New York, so I'll try to make it to the New Jersey one. That sounds great. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll be in Secaucus. in Secaucus. Yep, that's the correct pronunciation. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope to see you there. Same. Take care. Bye. 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 Ready, you